0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Visionary Podcast, where I interview a previous professor of mine, Sri Ram Sundarajan, in which we talk about the future of the business world and the impact that the coronavirus pandemic will have. I recently had the pleasure of taking a class on management consulting with Sri Ram Sundarajan. He's a professor at Santa Clara University at the Levy School of Business. Um, Sriram teaches this class on management consulting for undergraduate and graduate students at Santa Clara University, while also teaching a similar course to postdoctorate students at Stanford University. Sriram is an experienced management consultant with extensive experience in the tech, media, telecom, and fintech industries. He recently worked as a director of strategy and operations at PwC, while also founding and being CEO of his own consulting services at Hypergrowth Labs. In short, Shriram is a digital strategist here to talk to us about the future of consulting and tech, and what he thinks how uh, about how the world is evolving in the current state that we are that we find ourselves in. Uh, Shriram, thank you for joining us today. For our second episode of the Visionary Podcast, I'm really excited to have you here today so you can share your knowledge with us.
1: Thanks for having me here in your podcast, Alan. Yeah, so uh, let's
0: start off by having you tell us a little bit about about yourself and where you are in life and and what was your career path to get to where you are.
1: Oh, well, absolutely. Um, My journey in and out of consulting had a lot of pivots. Um, I was actually trained as a computer science engineer in my undergraduate program when I landed in the States in 99. And like most consultants, I do not have a traditional entry point into consulting from MBA or a grad school. That's normally how consultants come in uh, into a career in consulting. Uh, It so happens that my initial foray into consulting was on the technical side when I was a product engineer and I wanted to move to the West Coast. I was actually in Chicago at that time. The weather, as you know, gets really bad. So I wanted to change a shift in uh, weather. So at that time, you know, the company I worked for offered me a chance to join their IT consulting team in the West Coast. I took a leap of faith and switched into management consulting. Uh, Needless to say, it was a great experience working with clients to solve their business problems, leveraging technology. Uh, But once I did my MBA at Santa Clara University, I was motivated to take up industry roles and join a tech company in the Silicon Valley. This move, you know, again, a leap of faith, it proved to be a great decision as I got the opportunity to work closely on the business and the ops side of emerging tech, such so as cloud and you know SaaS, which was emerging at that time back in you know, 2008, 2009. And this helped me land a management consulting job at a boutique consulting firm. They sought me out and it was a great fit. And you know, one thing led to another, and I landed at PwC in their management consulting practice, advising clients on their business strategy. And then on, it's no looking back.
0: I mean, there's, there's no doubt that you've you've had a lot of experience and, and done a lot of things over the, over the years. Um, one thing that I want to point out is that you got your MBA from Santa Clara. That's um, right. But why exactly did you, did you come back to Santa Clara? Was it the community or what attracted you the most?
1: Great question. Um, You know, I was actually recruiting graduate students from the MBA program when I was at Cognizant Consulting, and I was a principal there. And I interviewed a lot of MBA students from schools around the U.S. We recruit from all the top schools, and I was recruiting from Santa Clara as well. What I found consistently was that, you know, every MBA student was smart that I recruited, and you need the smarts to be a consultant, right? You need to be thinking on your feet, but... Consulting, you know, as you probably know from the class you took, um, you know, a few quarters back, needs a shift in the mindset. You need to have a very strong consulting mindset, or in other words, a very consult. You know, have a consulting DNA. Uh, this is not something that folks normally came equipped with. They, you know, go through case studies, they learn through the curriculum what they need as far as the basics go. But then you need to bring it all together, right? And the course, you know, that. I created, it's a first of a kind course. I took it as a challenge and an opportunity actually to design this course specifically for, you know, the Levy School of Business at SEU And the head of management department at that time, Terry Griffith, she was very supportive I got some very good feedback when I discussed with some of the students in the Allen. Um, I took the feedback, fine-tuned the curriculum and the and the um, syllabus for this course. Uh, there was tremendous interest in the course when I offered this back in 2014 2015 timeframe. Uh, since you know, then this course has also been offered to undergraduate students, like yourself, for instance. And we also have consulting firms recruiting from Santa Clara University for the uh, from the undergraduate program. So the You know, this this was a very natural fit. Um, I have to admit that as an alumni and as a faculty, my experience working with the community when it was, you know, whether it was receiving feedback or uh, trying to improve the course has been phenomenal. We have a great community of Alan's students and faculty here. And this network is our strength.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I had the pleasure of taking your class uh, of management consulting, um, unlike a lot of students there. And I'm interested in consulting as well. But but like you said, there's there's something about consulting that can't be taught in the classroom. So, I mean, just out of curiosity, would you say like Santa Clara University students were well-prepared in order to learn all of those different skills?
1: Great question. Um, you know, part of um, what I did when I was trying to create the curriculum and the syllabus for this course um, was to make sure that I bring in a healthy balance of practical work along with the theoretical aspects of what students need to learn there's a certain level of academic rigor that needs to exist in a course for that to be approved and i went through the motions at santa clara university right and the same rigor holds true whether it's an undergraduate course or a graduate course or a course that i even teach at stanford for instance for post students uh, in terms of you know being equipped as a student for a career in consulting certainly i mean from your your own experience i'm sure you would agree that the course offered you the ability as a student To learn the core concepts in consulting, how to bring it all together in terms of forming your hypotheses, doing the proper analysis, whether it's internal analysis from an organizational perspective or external analysis that you would need to do from an industry or market perspective, and then use that to validate your hypotheses, right? so that you can then come to the right set of recommendations with the options that you would need to propose to any client. And this is typically how it happens in any strategy engagement that we do. So I would say that all my students over the last several years have gone through the same motions, of course, I've iteratively worked on improving the coursework and the syllabus based on feedback and tuning it for what the needs are for an undergraduate versus graduate students, because, you know, undergraduate students may not have the same level of, you know, knowledge from coursework that graduate students have, right? So bringing in those first principles, certainly there have been tweaks that I've done for for the syllabus for the undergraduate course, but pretty much preparation is key for consulting. And, and that's what, is the key element or the secret sauce of this course. It helps you to be better prepared as a consultant through practical work that you can take into the real world.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, from a, I mean, right now we're living in a, in a world, you know, through a pandemic that has um, made us confront challenges that, that we never thought we would have to before. And and it's impacted the business world in a very specific way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that their services needed to change. Uh, consumers don't necessarily have the means to um, to buy products and services because of the economic impact of the pandemic. And, and obviously, I think that we can all agree that the way that business is done is going to have to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a consultant's perspective, how has how is the consulting industry going to change going forward and, and how will we be impacted after this? And, and then can you also talk to us about how, how consulting firms will have to adapt their services to, to this new way of doing business?
1: Well, this is definitely an interesting topic, Alan, um, and there's massive disruption to business as you and me now has been happening for the past several months right? We all are impacted. There's no doubt about it. And there's no doubt about it, rather. And and this is uniform across the globe. From a services perspective, you know, there are a lot of changes that are happening across services industries. God knows when the situation will change. But then the situation has definitely created several opportunities for consulting firms. Okay. Uh, Working remote is a new norm. We all have to adapt to it no matter which industry we are in. And that's certainly happening in the consulting business as well. Uh, But consulting work can sometimes be done remote, can sometimes be done in person, but is most effective when it's done in person. But certainly, you know, as a consultant, I've had to change the ways I work. So that I can talk to my clients, interact with my clients and collaborate with them in a very effective way. If I have to interact with any team members, certainly I have to adjust myself to this new norm and make sure that we all are successful as a team. And that teamwork is something that's very essential. Uh, but going back to the, you know, your question on what consulting firms you know have to do and what businesses have to do, changing to this new norm that creates the need for, you know, more consulting help. Uh, One of them is around workforce readiness, given the pandemic situation and the business continuity that is needed, right? If you think about it, there's, you know, planning that needs to be done for the future of work, which involves creating a hybrid workforce with human and digital workers. And the reason I say digital workers is, you know, three, four years back, chatbots were coming in in a big way. They had their ups and downs, but then now... You know with artificial intelligence and advances virtual assistants have become more common i.e there is now a digital worker that can actually support you and me in our tasks right think of them as the Alex's and the you know google assistants of the corporate world And and to design this digital worker requires some skill, right? So companies have to embrace that and make sure that they are creating this digital workforce uh, to offer the support needed for human workers, okay? And and for them to collaborate, you know, vice versa, you know, with each other. Um, And as you remember from the class, future of work is a huge topic of interest for me. I have been stressing in various forums on how AI and automation have... To be embraced as a critical success factors in this future of work both for businesses and for consulting firms because our clients are trying to embrace this new norm and as consultants it's our responsibility to support them in this journey and we are here in this covid situation and and ai and automation have become a necessity now it's not a luxury anymore okay there there are you know no more trends like ai and AI automation out there in the future it's here and now right and this is creating a need for consultants to be equipped to help their clients the other area you know that you you probably uh, are aware from my classes around regulation and how regulation creates the need for consultants the post covid situation how states and the federal government are uh, defining regulations to open up the business to reopen the business and and reopen the economy has created a great deal of stress on organizations how our business is going to understand what are the needs around the regulation they need to plan for how do they plan for operations right mandated by these regulations for them to reopen right and there are so many regulations at play here at a city level at a you know federal level or a county level right so too many entities involved here so there's a need for consultants to help their clients think through this and and this has emerged as another area that consultants are actively being involved in across the globe doubling down on their expertise to help clients think through the strategy and the operating model needed to you know operate in these uncertain terms right that's you know my take on this
0: yeah that's very interesting that's very interesting um you know you you did mention the the idea of the future of work um, and I'd like to touch on that uh, a little bit so right now you know we're getting accustomed to working remotely something that you know five months ago we wouldn't have imagined that we would have been in the situation but yet now it's become super normal and something that we've seen as becoming super efficient as well but from your perspective like what's the what what are the strengths and weaknesses of remote working, and and how does this affect the way that businesses operate?
1: Great question, Alan. Um, I think I you know briefly mentioned about future of work, but you know supporting a new you know remote workforce, for instance, has is a, the norm that organizations have to embrace get adjusted to quickly. Uh, This is creating a need to plan for your workspace at home. Like For instance, you can imagine your workplace uh, being ergonomically sufficient for you to operate when you are in your office. Now you need to have that same kind of an environment in your home as well, right? And you need to plan for a better work-life balance, get proficient, you know, in working with new tools, right? There are tools like Slack, for instance, that are becoming more and more, you know, vogue now than before, right? And these tools and platforms that enable remote collaboration need some training. You need to understand the etiquettes that are involved when you're participating in video calls. And there's a huge need for remote workers to embrace this. And and there's also a need for remote workers, us as remote workers, to uh, embrace a better discipline, uh, in our work and personal life because there's no more uh, nine to five. There was never a nine to five, you know, job, uh, you know, in the last decade or, or two. But what I want to say here is point out the fact that we need to have the discipline to demarcate our work life and make sure that when if you're working on our laptops, we shut it down and then switch over to our personal life And and to be cognizant of our, family, the needs around, you know, us is going to be very important. Uh, the lack of proximity to coworkers care, for instance, can cause a lot of strains because we are human beings. We are used to interacting with people, right? We need to embrace that in the remote collaboration space. And, and this needs to be. Addressed with urgency, whether you are a supervisor or a business leader or a business owner, because you need to check in. You know, it's your responsibility to check in on your workforce, understand their needs. Uh, you need to show more empathy, right, for the personal situation that your employees or your coworkers are in. Um, ensure that, you know, stressful situations are dealt with immediately because we need to prioritize mental health. We need to allow for sufficient breaks, make sure that people have their space and time for recovery, because these are very uncertain times and very stressful times. And so, you know, uncertain business conditions can lead to a lot of layoffs. This can cause stress. Just thinking about a friend or a coworker losing their job can can cause stress on, on the person, right, themselves. So um, if, you know... You, you want to be better equipped to work in this remote situation. You need to make sure you focus on your mental health and make sure you have a balance between your work life and your personal life. And also, you know, these being uncertain business times, you need to, you know, be sure about what your next steps are in case you are impacted as well. Right. This is probably a good time for, uh, you know, everyone to open up that old resume and put in the effort to update it. Keep yourself relevant, learn new skills, practice meditation to manage stress, learn those soft skills. There are a lot of courses that are being offered. Uh, Take breaks, check in on family and friends and make sure that you have the demarcation in your work day and your work routine. You know, have the discipline in your work routine. These are going to be very, very important as, you know, we embrace a remote way of working.
0: Yeah, definitely. This is a this is a new way to all of us. And and even for the biggest businesses in, in our country and in the world. Um, these are uncertain times, but you know, being based off of Silicon Valley, where where you find companies like Apple, Google, Facebook being headquartered, and being their headquarters there, then I would assume that they're they're used to you know lo, uh, recruiting locally and pulling people from from local universities and having them come from out of state to work at their headquarters. Um, this, this idea of remote working is obviously going to affect them, uh, largely in the way that they recruit, like how I'm interested to know if, if you think how, if at all, um, this, this idea of remote working and this new norm is going to affect the strength of Silicon Valley.
1: You know, that's a great question, Alan. There's already a lot of talk about, on Silicon Valley companies thinking about allowing remote work, which opens up the possibility of hiring from outside the Valley and even outside the country, for instance, right? Uh, in, in pure economics terminology, there's going to be a probably a deflationary pressure on wages if hiring happens from outside the valley, because, you know, you don't have to pay workers as much if you're going to be hiring in, in some place that's remote and doesn't have the high cost of living as we do here in the valley. Uh, but, you know, this is probably going to have some transitory effect on the interim. But the strength of the Silicon Valley lies in what I call the triumvirate. Okay. There's local government that supports businesses, that supports the ecosystem. There's you know a very strong school and university system that exists in this time it and private companies, the entrepreneurs that start these companies, right? They thrive in the valley, and and this creates a very strong ecosystem of growth. It's going to be very difficult to for this ecosystem to be replicated across, you know, different places in the country or even outside the US that easily, right? Uh, is it is it difficult? Yes. Is it impossible? No. But that certainly would, would take time for this to happen. Uh, but you know, this this strong ecosystem that's needed cannot be understated. And I I expect this ecosystem to stay strong and recover from the impact of COVID. Uh, Silicon Valley has been very resilient to recessions and issues in the past. And, you know, entrepreneurship has thrived over here because of the ecosystem that exists here. So we can expect this resilience and grit to hold good for the longer term. And I'm very confident about our future in the Valley.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with uh, with what you just said. Um, I, too, look at it as kind of like the mecca, uh, you know, of technology and talent and and you know all of these different factors that that they're looking for. Um and they're located there. So so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But how do you how do you think the world is going to be post-pandemic? Um we're living through this new norm, but but will we over will we ever go back to to the world we knew as pre-pandemic?
1: You know, interesting question. Again, it's pro- there's probably no crystal ball to use to predict here, but then we can definitely rely on precedents from you know past pandemics, right? The 1918 flu pandemic is one of them. It caused over 40 million deaths worldwide, right? Uh, interestingly enough, if you look back in history, this was also a period of great uncertainty, as you know. You know, the World War One was happening around the same time, so there's probably a you know combination of You know, confluence of things that came together here to, uh, you know, uh, be a great issue for the world. Uh, There are some similarities here because we're going through the same kind of situation with a lot of, you know, uncertainty in the global context. Um, and in addition to COVID, you know, there's a lot of other things happening in the world. Uh, we are probably facing, you know, a possible recession of sorts globally, right? So these are very uncertain terms. And but you know, if you if you just take mortality rate for instance, this you know the, the 1918 pandemic cost more than 40 million deaths, as I said. But it was happening a lot along along socioeconomic lines. And guess what? The same thing is happening right now. So there's a lot of similarities between what happened in the 1918 pandemic, and if you go by the research that was done into the 1918 pandemic and its effects on the economy. Most of them were short term, short term in like five to 10 years timeframe. So we can expect that, you know, uh, in the next decade, uh, businesses and service and entertainment industries that have suffered, that have suffered losses will slowly be gaining in strength. Uh, You know, companies in healthcare or products in healthcare have seen an increase in revenues that we can probably expect that to continue, right? And and the world, as we know, has changed. There's never going to go, we're probably never going to go back to the pre-pandemic phase immediately. But over a period of time, you know, um, our consumption has suddenly gone down. This mirrors what happened in 1918, and this has a very cyclical effect on the economy as the GDP contracts. Uh, there's massive impact that happens across, you know, uh, industries and across the globe. And and what happens is it's it's going to be very difficult to predict human behavior. And and what we should expect is from the 1918 pandemic, the the impact that happened to the urban population is going to uh, probably reflect itself again. And there's going to be a massive shift in behavior of people in urban communities. And, And life, as we know, in the next decade is going to be completely different. It will be totally different for urban communities more than rural communities, probably because of the density of population involved and the nature of businesses that are here than in rural communities. Eventually, things may come back to normal, but it's going to be a question of when. Hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, I see what you're what you're saying, and that and that this pandemic um, definitely marked a a very significant change in in, in our world and, and what we're seeing. Um, I don't want to ignore your expertise and your knowledge on on tech. So, so let's talk a little bit about technology, um, technology, and and what you think about where the world is going in in that sense. So, AI, VR, AR, um, all of these new new technologies, um, they're they're going to shape our lives moving forward more and more. So, so what is the biggest uh, change that that we don't see coming that we should be expecting?
1: Uh, great question. So, as I mentioned earlier. AI automation and emerging tech such as AR, VR will reshape the future of work. There's no question about that. This change is happening right now as we speak. Staying aware of these trends is going to be very important. Anyone that's new coming into the workforce needs to know how to be prepared for it so that they can have the ability to respond to it. And the way you respond to these new trends and to accept them as being inevitable, understanding the implications helps you to work into this situation and quickly train yourself so that you can apply these new learnings, whether it's in tech, into your digital work life. And that's going to be very important. The sooner you embrace the disruption, the better is your chance of survival. So don't be blindsided by it would be my advice. Uh, Embrace the change, uh, but most certainly be prepared for the change.
0: Yeah. um, I mean... Definitely one of the, one of the industries, um, or the service industry per se is being hit very hard during this pandemic because they're more used to, you know, having that physical interaction where, where they can show their customer service, uh, in person, et cetera. Um, how, how would you say that technology can help the service industry moving forward And, and how is this pandemic, um, going to change that? And, and kind of force them into adopting these these new technologies that that are improving
1: of course uh, if you if you look at uh, some of the service industries for instance banking is a great example there is a seismic shift happening happening in banking because of the pandemic you and me probably are used to going into a bank and transacting. Now everything has got to be done remotely, right? You can probably like drop your checks remotely. There's no issue with that, uh, subject to a certain cap. You know, you probably don't even need to go physically into an ATM, for instance. You can transact cashless, and so uh, there, there's, an, there's an impact that's, as I said, transitory uh, for the interim. But then uh, there is a seismic shift in with respect to how technology is being adapted. Are adopted. And services sectors such as nursing have seen a very, you know, large increase in demand for such labor. And the lack of scale because of labor shortages is huge. Healthcare as a space along with banking, you know, has been ripe for disruption for a long time. And and telemedicine, for instance, uh, which used to be a very small offering in a healthcare setting prior to this pandemic has taken a very important role now, and that's a very prominent role. and that's just because consumers, you know like you and my, me and you know, medical professionals are embracing this new norm of social distancing. And, and technology such as telemedicine is allowing for a safe and more efficient ways for providing these medical services. And going back to the point about you know AI, AR and VR, rapid diagnosis is now possible because of AI, right? And, and, you know, no more is a human going to be the only person, you know, that's going to be involved in making a decision around a diagnosis, for instance. AI can certainly help in pitch in and help the doctor or the surgeon with making the recommendations. Uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, you know, AR, VR in short, uh, is playing a very vital role in training physicians in complicated surgical procedures. I was in Oculus Connect last year and I noticed how uh, there are now increased applications of AR VR in surgery for instance. And you know as as surgeons need to prepare for procedures, they would need data overlays, they would need visual overlays of situations to familiarize familiarize themselves sorry in in, in before they go in for training procedure, right? Uh, or they even go for before they go for a surgery. And and this is now Being made possible because of the augmented and virtual reality that that exists today, and this saves time. The benefits are immense. It increases the efficacy of the surgery, and most importantly, delivers better quality outcomes for patients. And you know, this is just in healthcare. Right. If you take banking or financial services, automation is just sweeping the vertical in a big way. Conversational AI is now a big thing where interactions can be managed using digital workers. Companies such as rely for instance, which is in the conversational AI space, uh, allow for like quicker deployment of virtual assistants due to low code or no code, which means that you're not looking at a year-long implementation of a platform, right? It's going to be in like a few weeks. And and this helps organizations realize faster time to value. Digitization in the services industry from adopting applied AI and automation is a massive disruptive force. And anyone who's entering the workforce, right? Think about, you know, folks like you and me that probably are in the workforce or, you know, are trying to get trained. We need to stay relevant. And the only way to do this is to make sure we are aware of the latest digital platforms.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, going off of what you said about us having to stay relevant, I definitely think that this uh, pandemic kind of accelerated the change that that we should have seen five years from now or or maybe even ten years from now that that we're actually being forced to adapt in, in today's world. Uh, and and I want to go back into what you said about banking and, and how that industry is changing. And, and connected to that, we see the rise of um, financial technology or or in short fintech, as we call it. And, and I know you're an expert in that area, so, so I wanted to wanted to talk about this. Um, it's interesting to see the change that we're seeing in today's world from moving away from physical cash more and more each day to to seeing more online transactions and more applications like Venmo, PayPal, you know, um, Cash App, etc. So, so how does this uh, pandemic benefit? The, the fintech industry and, and how will they adapt the changes um, that we're seeing dur- during um, the coronavirus pandemic?
1: Oh, boy, you're certainly hitting high notes with respect to topics that I love to talk about. Uh, you know, as humans <laughs> in society, um, we've always had a fascination for cash. Like, who doesn't, you know, uh like cash or didn't have a piggy bank to store money in right so we've always had this fascination for physical money and having worked at the federal reserve in the cash product office several years back i've seen the complex orchestration of cash the elaborate supply chains and the technology that exists to support our financial institutions in moving physical cash through the you know financial system um, You know, while new platforms such as Venmo and hardware tech, such as near-field communication or NFC, have made it easy for contactless transactions to happen. The pandemic situation has certainly accelerated the need to embrace this across industries that depend on payments. Payments as a space in fintech has been disrupted in a massive way. And it's hard to imagine going back to handling physical cash the same way we used to, simply because we cannot transaction cash to the same extent because we don't know how safe everyone feels around handling cash. It's not just about me as an individual, it's about us as a society being comfortable to handle physical cash, right? And if you think about it, the Federal Reserve and the central banks or governing bodies around the world have a very important role to play in this because they are the ones that would evaluate alternatives to cash and prepare regulations to address this new norm for a cashless society. We may not be able to move 100% from you know, physical cash, but it's possible that over the next decade, we will see a diminished need for physical cash in certain scenarios such as retail, food and hospitality, for instance, travel, for instance, where we probably would be using more contactless payments.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think we're already seeing that. Um, I recently saw that Blue Bottle, for example, was was going to start going cashless, which which is something that that we're going to start seeing more and more each day as, as you know, the, the future becomes more, more relevant as we'd like to say. Um, but, but I'd like to, um, just ask you one more thing, like going as a consultant, going through this, um, this pandemic and these new changes that, that we're seeing, what can we do to stay on top of our game? Um, what recommendations do you have for, for people in the business world so that they can adapt to, to the new changes that are happening, because I mean, we we all don't like change. We're all scared of change. Right. Um, but change is necessary. And, and if we don't adapt to the new ways of doing business, then, then we're going to lose. So, so what would you say to, to people out there listening that, that are experiencing these changes in, in their businesses?
1: Um, Interesting uh, topic to discuss, Alan, because as you know from my class, change management is very integral for any organization to manage as they go through a transformation. And certainly as a society, we are going through a massive transformation of sorts. Managing this change is going to be very important for us if we have to succeed in the long term, right? And history has shown us that as a species, we have survived natural disasters. Uh, we have survived previous pandemics, recessions, great depression, right? And as they say, these two shall pass. From a business perspective, you know, for individuals, you know, that are in the workforce, you would need to have software and You know, hard skills, career oriented skills to survive in this rapidly evolving world. Businesses would need to transform themselves to learn to operate in the new norm, Um, increasingly embrace technology or, you know, digital to solve a lot of the problems they have. Right, and this is where technologies like AI are coming in. Newer, you know, vendors like Rulai that I mentioned uh, play a very important role. And certainly, when you when you think about this, you know, I had the experience of uh, exp- you know AR VR uh, by by being the first in the academia to embrace AR VR in a classroom setting, where I invited you know Renji from Immersed VR into my classroom. He joined virtually and you know physically. So. You know, I have, in a way, gone through a change myself as a consultant, as an academic, right? And and businesses would need to do the same thing. Workplace settings have changed. Uh, newer platforms like Immersive VR are coming in, which would allow for the workplace to shift from the office to your home, right? And my advice is in this rapidly evolving world, there's a new normal and those who embrace this change will survive. My advice would be to be prepared to face this normal, whether you are an individual or a business. And, and this will help you to better respond than to be reactive or to react. Right.
0: Yeah, we definitely need to learn to accept um, the new changes that are coming. And I think that's that's going to be vital moving forward. Um, well, thank you, thank you, Shriram, for joining us today. I thought this was a really productive conversation, uh, and I know there's a lot to learn learn from from what you had to say. So, I appreciate you joining the show.
1: Absolutely, Alan. Thanks for having me here. It was great interacting with you again through this podcast, uh, and and thanks for inviting me to share my perspectives. Cheers.